have you with us again this, this morning. Let me just pray for this guy. Not only do I love the folks here at, at Stack, but also at, at HT. And what a team we have got. And it's a real privilege working with this guy. Father, thank you for Tim, the ministry that you've called him to. And as he brings your word to us today, we want to open our hearts to receive it, Lord, and to respond and to follow you every day. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I've got this one then. Does this one work? Do I need to move it up or is that okay? Great. Um, lovely to be with you. And uh, just to continue the kind of nice loving that Malcolm just said, I, I just said to, to Matt before the service, what a pleasure it is working with him. So uh, it's a joy. Um, I hope this morning is going to be hugely encouraging to you because, as you've just heard, that's an amazing passage which shows us incredible things about God. And there's even one or two people here who've, who've heard now this passage twice uh, in a row. Those who go to the nine o'clock at Holy Trinity as well, you're in for a treat hearing it again. Um, let's, uh, oh, can we have the uh, video clip? I don't know if you've seen this or remember this from 2016. Um, this is from the World Triathlon Series. Um, might have to go back to the beginning of it. I know, I'm sure we'll have some triathlon uh, people here. Here we go. Have you seen this clip? Let's watch it again. This is Johnny Brownlee at the front. And he's in the lead. <laughs> Didn't realize there's no commentary on it. Don't worry, don't worry. Just leave it. We can see the images. He's losing his sense of direction. This is worrying. Oh, goodness me. This is a horrible sight. Jonathan Brownlee has lost it now and has staggered to a stop at the side of the course. And Alistair's stopped to help him along. And Alistair is going to try and carry his brother home. Dramatic scenes in Cozumel as the Olympic champion carries his younger brother towards the podium. Oh my God, I cannot believe what we are seeing here, Matt. Is this allowed? Is he allowed to help his brother? You know, is that part of the rules? I'm not too sure. We've never seen anything like this before. Unbelievable scenes. Unbelievable scenes in Cozumel. The Brownlee brothers arm in arm, but it's not by way of celebration. Henry Schumann's celebrating. He's going to win this race in Cozumel out of nowhere. But we have to be concerned about the health of Jonathan Brownlee. And they're not even on the final stretch yet. Schumann wins in Cozumel. The brothers are coming home arm in arm to finish in second and third. But Johnny can hardly stand. And Alistair is having to drag him across the line and pushing him home. Pushing him home for second. Johnny finishes in second. Goodness me. What? Thank you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Um, some of you have seen it before and might remember when it happened. Johnny Brownlee, the six-time world champion, Olympic champion, and he's shoved over the line by his older brother who scooped him up 500 meters from the line. It's an astonishing moment. Why do I share that with you? Or did you hear it in the reading, even youths? grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. Even young men who are the kind of fittest in the world, like these two men here, Johnny Brownlee, even young men stumble and fall. And I've started with that video because 
I want you to have that image of Johnny Brownlee, utterly spent, staggering, collapsing, being thrown over the line. I want you to have that image in your mind as you hear God this morning. Because the prophet Isaiah, writing 700 years before Jesus, uses that image that we heard. We heard it at the end of that reading that was read so beautifully for us by, by the, the K, who's normally in the kitchen. Um, by the way, wonderful accent. You're from Liverpool. Where are you from? Where? Lang- oh, I apologise. Um, uh, yeah, have that image of Johnny Brownlee in your mind because Isaiah uses it to describe the people of God, which actually this morning is me and you. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. Um, some of us might be feeling wonderful. Others of us won't. But actually Isaiah uses it to say, even those of us gathered here, the people of God grow weary and tired. Young men grow stumble and fall. Um, So have that in your mind. Um, It is no wonder that Isaiah described the people of God in 700 years before Jesus as as, um, staggering and falling like Johnny Brownlee, because Isaiah has actually spent the the, the best part of the first 39 chapters declaring God's judgment on them. Um, And and he says that God is going to come in judgment to these people who have rejected him, he's going to use foreign powers. First of all, the Assyrians, then the Babylonians. He's going to carry them off into this exile. It's going to be awful. They're going to be cut off from, from God. They're going to be cut off from their land, from his blessing over them. They're going to be cut off from each other, scattered in these foreign lands for forsaking God, rejecting him. And so God, and so God has declared his judgment through Isaiah on these people. And actually, that's enough to make them stagger and fall. But then... The second half of this book, which we're going to be focusing on in the next few weeks, is a message of comfort. If you've got that bit of Isaiah open, Isaiah 40 begins with these wonderful words, comfort, comfort my people, declares your God. You speak tenderly to Jerusalem, says God, proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. So if the first bit of Isaiah 1 to 39 is the book of judgment, the second bit of Isaiah 40 to 66, which we're going to be looking at, is the book of comfort. So you might be pleased this morning that we're looking at 40 to 66. I mean, there's some wonderful bits in 1 to 39 as well. And in this bit of Isaiah, God promises this restoration to his people. He declares comfort. He promises that there'll be a servant raised up who's going to save them. Guess who that might be? He's going to raise up this servant to save them. He's going to, he looks forward to a new land, a new earth restored. Comfort my people. So yes, God is the God, the Holy One of Israel. That's kind of Isaiah's nickname, if you like, for God. The Holy One of Israel who will not tolerate wickedness and sin. But at the same time, that Holy One of Israel is the lover of his people. The God of comfort. And he says that judgment will not last forever. That was Isaiah's message to the people 700 years before Jesus. God's judgment is going to come, but it's not going to last forever. You will be restored. Kindness will triumph. Mercy and grace will triumph over judgment. That was the message then. What about for us today? The message for us today, I believe, is this. If you are tempted to wonder if God knows your situation, or if he does know, if he, is he able to do anything about it, well, there is hope this morning as we look at God together in Isaiah 40. There is hope. And I want to break this down really simply this morning. Um, 
we're going to look at Isaiah 14. We're going to see two things, the problem, and then we're going to look at the solution. Um, so the first thing, the problem, and you can see my helpful little uh, text in the background. If you don't listen to me, just read what it says in the back. It's easy. <laughs> and the problem is simply this. The problem is straightforward. We are frail. Human beings are frail. We are small. We're weak. We're needy. God says, actually, yeah, we're sinful. That is the problem. We're frail in every which way. Some of us know that this morning only too well. Others of us might maybe need reminding of that. Spiritually, we're frail. Spiritually, have a look at verse 6 of chapter 40. If you've got it there, or I'll read it to you. Verse 6 of chapter 40 said, All people are like grass, and all human faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall. Spiritually, God's saying, we're short-termers. We're short-termers. We easily wilt like flowers. We shrivel, we perish. We can look good like a flower, but actually it's impermanent. It doesn't last. Soon we're chasing after other things, after other gods, those idols, those things which replace God in our lives. Soon we're offending the God of the universe. We're spiritually frail, says Isaiah. So spiritually, and we're physically frail. Look at how we're described in verse 21. Verse 21 of that passage again. The Lord sits above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. Now, if you're sitting above the earth and you see a little grasshopper, it's not very big. I've, I may be ashamed to say, crushed a grasshopper by mistake underfoot. Okay? Grasshoppers are small. They're crushable. They're easily stamped on compared to the one of the universe who sits enthroned above it. We're tiny. We're physically frail. Or verse 6 and 7 again, we're compared to grass. All people are like grass. The grass withers. Uh, now, we're physically frail. As I say, some of us know that more than others. Um, maybe you're feeling your physical frailty this morning. But actually, even if you're not, the end of Isaiah says, even youths grow tired and weary. Young men, as we've seen, stumble and fall. The, the, the strongest become weak. The fittest uh, get tired. The healthiest get ill. Our most moral people fail. We know that too well as well. We are weak spiritually and physically. And if that weren't enough, don't worry, I'm going to get to the encouraging stuff later. Um, I hope, though, that you might be resonating with some of this. If, if our spiritual and physical frailty weren't enough, actually, there's the world around us. Did you notice the word which cropped up as we had that reading uh, a few times was weary? Yeah? God gives strength to the weary. Even youth grow tired and weary. What does weary mean? Well, I think weariness means the, the, the weight of the world weighing in on us. The concerns of the world weigh heavy on us. That's what it is to be weary. You know that this morning? I, I wonder, maybe some of us feel actually physically and spiritually okay. That's great, if that's the case. But perhaps even though we feel okay, our, the concerns of our children weigh heavy on us. Or maybe employment issues weigh heavy on us. Or financial issues weighing heavily on us. Or the concerns of COVID, just two years of media telling us how scary it is weigh heavily on us. That is what it is to be weary. Even youths grow tired and weary. God gives strength to the weary. That is the concerns of the world. I wonder, as, I, as, as we think about that word weary, if that isn't the big issue of our time right now, as we come out of two years of pandemic, you know? Um, healthcare workers. Two years of working in a pandemic. Wearisome. Teachers, with, an, with another unannounced change, you've got to do your classroom or your school differently. 
Um, business people with uncertainty, less money than they're expecting in another quarter. Um, universal credit cuts, whatever it might be, things that weigh heavily on us, they make a big difference. Maybe those of us who are retired feel as though we feel weary because those, those years of happiness are draining away with disappointments in a pandemic. It makes us weary. It's wearisome in the extreme. Sorry if I'm bringing you down. So why am I saying all this? Well, the problems 2,700 years ago for Israel were physical and spiritual separation from God because of their, their rejection of him. And I want to suggest to us this morning that although that's a long time ago, we're not so different. We're not so different. We're really not too far removed from that. We are frail. We are Johnny Brownlee, you know, staggering, faltering, about to collapse. That is the problem, spiritually, physically, the world around us. That's the problem. What is the solution? That's what we need to know this morning, isn't it? <laughs> Not come here to have our problems diagnosed. What's the solution? Can we have the next one? Um, I think, yeah, there we are. Okay, the solution is this. And this is not rocket science. The solution to the problem of human frailty, spiritually and physically, is to look closely at God. That's what we gather together to do on a Sunday morning, actually. Together to look at him, to worship him. That is what Isaiah does for us in this amazing passage in Isaiah 40. It's the only answer. He, just, he, he says, look closely at God. Look closely at him. Um, there was a time that I was on a plane. Uh, I was flying in the United States in the Rocky Mountains, makes me sound a bit kind of groovier than I am. That's the only time I've done it. Um, and the, the first plane that we'd been on failed, and we had to land. The reason it failed was that the flaps had broken, which aviationists tell me means you can't get enough elevation, which is a problem if you're trying to fly through mountains. And so we'd taken off on this first plane, circled around for what seemed like forever, landed somewhere else, after this pretty scary announcement from the uh, pilot saying, sorry guys, we're going to have to land because we can't get over the mountain. We land, they then split us up into all sorts of smaller planes. And they put me and a friend on a little propeller plane, which seated about 30. And I think it was built in about 1930. <laughs> um, and, and it was fine. And we took off, we got over the mountain, first thing done and we're all going on smoothly and I was at the window and I can still see it we approached a an electrical storm cloud and I thought hello and we entered this cloud and it went dark and that was quite scary then the uh what's it called turbulence started and it was like no other turbulence I've ever experienced terrifying and then Lightning struck the wing of the plane, and I was sat right by the wing, and I'm told that that happens quite a lot, apparently. We, don't, we just don't realize it. But this lightning hit the wing of the plane, and for a split second, it looked as though the entire wing had been engulfed in flames. And I genuinely thought it was the end of my life. I genuinely thought, right, well, that's it, and I started praying. You know, it was kind of Lord Jesus received my spirit stuff. It was pretty scary. Anyway, I was terrified. We didn't go down. But what do you do when you're in a situation like that? You hit turbulence. In a, I don't know what you do, apart from pray. <laughs> I look at the cabin crew. Because if you look at the cabin crew, they have flown a thousand times. They've been in this situation before. And if there's something to worry about, it'll be shown on their face. If there's nothing to worry about, they'll be sat down at the back having a cup of tea, chatting about the weather. 
Now, what, why am I telling you this story? If you hit turbulence in a plane, my advice is to look at the cabin crew, and they'll tell you if there's something to worry about. If you hit turbulence in life, our physical frailty, our spiritual frailty, the, the, the weariness, that concern of the world, look at God. Look at God. Now, in this instance, when I was on that plane, I did look at the cabin crew, and they weren't very encouraging. Um, they were strapped in, gripping the sides of the plane, white as a sheet, and I was, uh, yeah. So um, that just goes to show that cabin crew are human. God is not. So my point stands. We look closely at God when we hit turbulence in life. Look closely at God. That is my basic point this morning. That is the solution to our problem which is our frailty, spiritually, physically, the world around us. Look closely at God. And actually, the thrust of chapter 40 of Isaiah is like, picture it like this. It's just as though Isaiah paints for us an amazing picture of God and says, look at that. We should stand and look in awe at his majesty. And I'm going to try and do that for us very briefly now. I won't capture even the text, let alone God himself. But let's look and behold our God this morning as we come to him. Look at first of all, um, verses 21 and 22. I'll read them for us again. Um, and this is your God, the effortless creator. The effortless creator. Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Verse 26. Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. We are being shown our effortless creator. These aren't descriptions, of course, of how God created the world, but they are pictures designed to illustrate his effortless power. To God, says Isaiah, to God, creating the world is, is as easy as putting up a tent. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. It's like putting up a tent, which admittedly, if you went camping with me, would not look particularly effortless. Uh, but God is God again, and I'm not. He creates all of this. And if that isn't enough, just looking at this universe and thinking, wow, God made this effortlessly. Isaiah then says, well, if, if, you're, not create, if you're not convinced by that, look up at the stars. Look, he says, look up at the, uh, the starry host. Who created all these? And I love this. Um, Nikki Gumbel, if you've been on the Alpha course, if you haven't, there's one starting in a month's time. So sign up. Um, Nicky Gumbel, the kind of uh, big name on, on Alpha, he writes this about stars. And this is incredible. If you can follow the numbers, then you're doing better than me. But this is quite astonishing. On the 20th of August, 1977, Voyager 2, the interplanetary probe, launched to observe and transmit to Earth data about the outer planetary system, whatever that means, set off from Earth, traveling faster than the speed of a bullet, which I'm told is 90,000 miles an hour, quite fast. On the 28th of August, 1989, that's 12 years later, it reached planet Neptune, which is 2,700 million miles from the Earth. These numbers are ludicrous. Voyager 2 then left the solar system, and apparently it will not come within one light year of any star for 958,000 years. <laughs> final, final note, in our galaxy there are one... I'm guessing these are estimates. I don't know how people count these things. So I'm guessing it's guesswork here. But in our galaxy, there are 100,000 million stars like our sun. Our galaxy is one of 100,000 million galaxies. And in a throwaway line in Genesis, the writer tells us, he also made the stars. 
This is the effortless creator. And that is why in Isaiah 40, verse 26, Isaiah says, if, if you're not convinced by the universe, look up at the stars. Who made all these? Isn't that astonishing? God, the effortless creator. Look at God closely this morning. Your effortless creator. But also the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. We've all met people with that air of authority. Mount's got it, I'm sure, as he walks around stack. For me, when I think of someone who just has that aura of authority, it's Dr. Evans, who was my headmaster at school. He was a, he was a small little Welsh man. Um, nothing against small Welsh men. Um, I've no one to, no one to stalk. My name's Lewis, and I'm not exactly tall. Dr. Evans, small little Welsh man, always wore his academic gown, which I think suggests someone who needs to prove he is authoritative. Anyway, he did have that air of authority, and I knew it because... We would sit in the assembly hall and 850 teenage boys chatting and he walks in, he sweeps in, I can still see it, sweeping in, immediately we're silent. He, was, he had an aura of authority. He insisted on everyone calling him Dr. Evans, even his you know, teaching staff, he was never Philip. Good headmaster, mind you. Anyway, he had this air of authority. Think of that person that you've met or know that has that amazing air of authority when they walk into a room and then look at verse 23 or here again, verse 23, God brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. God is the ultimate authority. All wisdom and authority come from him and is answerable to him, even Dr. Evans or whoever you're thinking of. God is that ultimate authority. He's the effortless creator. He's the ultimate authority. And finally, and this is brilliant, he is moral perfection. He's wonderfully good. And that is so important because if you think about it, power and authority are only good if they're brought together with goodness, with that moral perfection. Otherwise, they're dangerous. God is moral perfection. In a word, he is holy. That is how Isaiah describes in verse 25, God says, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Says the Holy One. And apparently, I'm not a Hebrew expert, but apparently in Hebrew, there's no definite article. So it could be translated like this. Who is my equal, says holy. It's as though God's nickname is just holy. Holy is so who God is, that is his name. Do you see? Who is my equal, says holy. God is moral perfection. He's utterly good. He's utterly just. No wonder then that Isaiah, a couple of times in this chapter, is in our face. Did you notice this? These repeated questions, he gets up in your face. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you? Have you not understood since the beginning of the earth? This is who God is. You know? He, kind of, he wants to get in our face a little bit, rattle our cage. If you're not understood, have you not looked closely at God recently? Look at God this morning. The answer to our frailty, to your frailty, whatever it might be, is to look closely at God. And with all that in mind, we can now grasp the key in those amazing last few verses that we had read that are probably familiar to some of you. Uh, let me read them again, verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. He uh, will, uh, and his understanding no one can fathom. So he says, you're frail, you're sinful, you're weak, you're weary. Well, look who isn't. 
Look who isn't. He will not grow tired or weary. Verse 29, he carries on. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. And verse 31, this is wonderful. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And I want you to notice the key here as you hear those words. Notice the key. I think this is pivotal to our lives this morning. Who is it in these words at the end that receives strength? Who is it that is renewed? Who is it that will soar on wings like eagles? Who will run and not grow weary? (laughs) Who is it? It is those who give up their pretense of power and strength. It is those who repent from that kind of self-reliance that we're so used to. It is those who know themselves to be weary and weak. And so it is those who, looking closely at God, put their hope in the Lord. That's what it means, I think, to put your hope in the Lord. It is those who've reached the end of themselves. Do you feel that this morning? I don't know how you came this morning. But if you've got to a place where you know that you're at the end of yourself, the end of your capacity, well, that is precisely where God needs you to be. Because this promise is for those who who know their own self-deception at times, who've placed themselves fully in the arms of God and say, you take over, you do it, God, because I just can't. If you found yourself in that position, then this is precisely for you. As Paul would say in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 12, when you admit your complete weakness, my complete power is given to you, says God. That's really just this bit of Isaiah summed up in one sentence. So I want to say to you this morning that God is more willing to help, to strengthen, to renew than Alistair Brownlee was his younger brother, Johnny, as he saw at the beginning, as he scooped him up and carried him over the line. In fact, I think that is a good image for us to finish on because that is literally, of course, what God did in a far more costly way through Jesus, isn't it? God demotes himself, not from gold or silver medal position, but from the very throne room of God, of heaven, to scoop up those who know themselves to be weak and weary. And instead of running over the line himself, as was his right, he chucks us over the line ahead of himself. That's what Jesus does for us. He gives up his right and throws us over, gives us the victory. He's our big brother, like Alistair is to Johnny. That is Jesus. And with that in mind, let me close with these wonderful words from an old hymn, um, which might be a a prayer, if you like, for us. Uh, I've got a... We get, oh yeah, there we are. A bit blurry, but you can see them on the screen there. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn and sad. I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad. I'd love that to be your prayer this morning. You hear Jesus say, come, come unto me and rest. You've reached the end of yourself. That's exactly where you need to be in order to receive my strength and my renewal. So with those words of comfort, what could possibly stop us from saying, yes, Lord, help me, strengthen me, forgive me. I am weak. Please, would you be strong? I'm going to invite us to do that now. Okay. Let's do that right now. Let's respond to that.